Welcome to the Legal One podcast, brought to you by Legal One, the leader in school law training in the state of New Jersey. Legal One is part of the NJPSA and FEA family, so we are thrilled to be offering this podcast to you as a way to help you gain a greater understanding of critical legal issues. We want to provide you with convenient, easy access to essential information. Each episode is 30 minutes or less, so it provides a timely way for you to get information. In each episode, we're going to be reviewing critical legal principles based on case law, statute, regulation, or other key guidance. We'll talk about why that issue matters today and how the law has evolved. We'll talk about key steps in working with parents and other critical stakeholders to positively address the issues in question and know how to get a greater level of understanding of these issues. So let's get started. And thank you so much for joining us for the Legal One podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Legal One podcast. My name is David Nash. I'm the director of the Legal One program. On this episode, we're going to discuss the parameters of the First Amendment relative to religious expression by school staff members. This is an issue that is complicated and involves an analysis of a number of key issues within our Constitution, within our case law, and really understanding how we balance competing interests. So in this episode, we're going to discuss a particular case that occurred in Washington State. In this case, we had a longtime high school football coach by the name of Joseph Kennedy. Mr. Kennedy had inherited a practice within the school district that he was working in in Washington State, and he had inherited this practice of leading the team in a prayer prior to football games. That practice he continued for a number of years. And at one point in time, the school district became aware of that particular practice and instructed Mr. Kennedy to no longer continue with that practice. Mr. Kennedy stopped that practice. So he was no longer leading the team in prayer prior to football games. Mr. Kennedy had another practice that he had engaged in for a number of years, where he would give inspirational speeches to the members of the football team and would lace those speeches with specific religious references. And of course, the members of the team had to listen to the speeches that he was giving prior to each football game. So he would be giving these speeches, he would be making overt religious references within the speeches, and the school district also learned about that practice and asked Mr. Kennedy to stop that practice, and he did. So those issues were no longer in play when this case made its way all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. And it's important to stress some of the issues that were not being considered by the Supreme Court. So let's talk about what did occur in this case that did make its way all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. In this case, Mr. Kennedy had continued a practice of kneeling at the 50-yard line at the end of each football game, and he was very overtly engaging in prayer as he was kneeling at the 50-yard line after each game. There were a number of citizens who objected to this practice at one point in time. The practice was brought to the attention of school officials. School officials asked Mr. Kennedy to stop the practice. They offered Mr. Kennedy other options in order to engage in private religious prayer. So they said, you certainly could do that in a private area where you're not visible to spectators, to student athletes, to others from the school district, and we would be happy to accommodate you and provide that. 
Mr. Kennedy said that was not acceptable and that as part of his deeply held religious views, he felt it was important to be able to do this brief prayer at the end of each football game. Since Mr. Kennedy continued the practice, the school district made a decision at the end of the 2015 season. They decided to not renew Mr. Kennedy as the football coach for the following year. At that point in time, he decided to sue the school district. And as part of that lawsuit, he argued that the school district had violated his First Amendment rights, including his right to engage in religious expression. So this case involves a review of the parameters of the First Amendment and whether or not staff members have the ability to engage in some forms of religious expression and what the parameters are in regards to that religious expression. So remember, in our case, we had the coach kneeling at the 50-yard line after football games. That's important as we analyze this particular fact pattern. This was not happening in the middle of the football game. This was not happening as part of mandatory prayer prior to the game. He had stopped that particular practice. This was happening after the game was over. So the school district argued that even though this was happening after the game, Mr. Kennedy still had a job to do. He was still responsible for supervising student athletes, for making sure that they safely made their way back to the locker room, back to the bus, back home, back to the school district in, in some cases, if it was an away game. So they argued that he still had a job to do, and they weren't paying him to engage in private religious expression during this period of time. The court looked at that argument and pointed out that although Mr. Kennedy was still on the clock, so to speak, and still had responsibilities and was engaging very briefly in private religious expression, the court pointed out that there were other coaches, other assistant coaches on the football team who were also engaged in different private activities. So, for example, there was evidence presented that other coaches were chatting with people in the stands, were calling home, making dinner reservations, engaging in other private business. And, you know, they were pretty overt in doing this. They weren't doing it secretly. And the court pointed out that none of those other coaches were disciplined for engaging in that form of private activity. And the court said, we can't have a different standard where you're going to be disciplined if you're engaging in religious expression and you're not going to be disciplined when you're engaging in other personal business. So basically the court said, we're not going to take seriously the argument that the coach should have been supervising students if the school district was allowing others to engage in other personal business without imposing any sort of discipline. The school district made another argument to justify their concern. They argued that the coach is a role model and the coach has significant influence by the very nature of that coaching position. And the coach could be coercing other students, pressuring other students into feeling like they have to join the coach and engage in religious expression, even if they didn't want to do so. And that argument in prior cases had held significant weight with prior versions of the United States Supreme Court. But the court, as currently situated, looked at this issue a little bit differently. The court said that they were going to reject the prior test, which had asked whether a reasonable observer could conclude 
that the private religious expression from a school employee, including a coach, was somehow the school district endorsing religion. The court said that reasonable person test was antiquated, was not an effective test, and the court rejected the test, which was known as the lemon test. And instead, the court said, we're going to look at historical precedent, we're going to look at the purpose behind our laws, and we're going to examine these issues on a case-by-case basis to determine whether there was any actual coercion that was happening. So the court pointed out, in this case, there was no direct evidence presented, for example, from student-athletes saying that the coach had pressured them into joining the coach for this private prayer. And the court pointed out that if there had been direct evidence of that, and that evidence had been sufficient to show that this really occurred, that direct coercion would have been unconstitutional, would have been inappropriate, would have justified disciplinary action, but it didn't exist. Now, for those who take the time to read the full Supreme Court decision here, It is important to point out that there was some other evidence introduced that some athletes might have felt uncomfortable with what the coach was doing in this particular case. So there were parents who complained that this practice was inappropriate, that it was making their children uncomfortable and perhaps feeling like they needed to go along with what the coach was doing. But the court said it's different for us to have secondhand evidence from a parent who didn't directly witness any direct pressuring or direct coercion versus firsthand evidence from a student who might have directly experienced that coercion. And the court said that secondhand hearsay is not going to be sufficient evidence to justify restricting the speech in question. So that was an important break from the way courts had previously looked at this issue, the court was moving away from this idea that any reasonable observer would feel like this is creating an impression that the school district was endorsing some particular religion. And the court said, what we're really going to look for here is direct evidence. And part of the rationale for the court doing this was that the First Amendment specifically embeds protection for religious expression. So the court pointed out that this is a specifically enumerated right that was given by our founding fathers in our Constitution, and the court was not going to lightly allow a school district or any other government employer to restrict that right without showing that there was an absolute necessity to do so. So in this particular case, the court pointed out that we didn't have that direct evidence of coercion. We didn't have any specific evidence that the coach was forcing students to join in that prayer. Now, when you look at the actual facts from the case, we do see that after one game, we did have members of the opposing team join this particular football coach in prayer at the 50-yard line. We didn't have any specific evidence of members of the coach's team joining at the 50-yard line after games. We also had some evidence that spectators in the stands after one game actually came down and joined the coach on the 50-yard line engaged in prayer. Again, that was not evidence that anybody was pressured into joining the coach after that game. So this case does raise a number of complicated issues for how we analyze religious expression moving forward. 
In this case, we did have the coach indicating that these were his deeply held religious views. He didn't feel that he could be restricted from expressing those religious views without his First Amendment rights being violated. And he, again, asserted that he was in no way trying to pressure students um, or anyone else into joining him in that religious expression. So let's consider how this might play out moving forward in future cases. There was a case in the state of New Jersey involving a football coach by the name of Borden, and that case involving the East Brunswick School District was analyzed by the Third Circuit Court of Appeals a number of years ago. In that particular case, you had student athletes who would engage in religious prayer prior to football games, and in that case, the coach would join those student athletes and take a knee with them while they engaged in prayer. The Third Circuit Court of Appeals actually found that practice to be unconstitutional because the court said it would create the impression that the coach as a school employee was perhaps endorsing religion and would create the danger of excessive entanglement between the school district and individual students who might feel pressured to now be part of that voluntary prayer. So in that case, Borden versus East Brunswick School District, the Third Circuit Court of Appeals had said that the coach could no longer continue that particular practice. Going forward, I'm not sure that the U.S. Supreme Court would reach that same conclusion. There is an open question moving forward about whether a coach might be allowed to kneel if students are initiating prayer and students are choosing to engage in prayer. As long as the coach is not directing that activity, is not leading that activity, is not telling student athletes that they need to do this. So that is an open area. I'm not sure where the U.S. Supreme Court will come down on that in the future, but it is an issue that we do need to keep an eye on. Remember, for coaches who are engaging in activity like this at an unstructured time after a football game, when there is this unwritten rule, as we saw in this case, that perhaps school employees are allowed a couple of minutes to engage in private activity, that's very different from a teacher in front of a classroom. So if moving forward, a teacher in front of a classroom decided to spend an entire class period sharing that teacher's deeply held religious views with the class, engaging in prayer while students are in that environment where they're not able to leave, where they are sort of captive to that particular environment, I think a court would still look at that very differently. Now, of course, that's very different from a teacher or other school employee briefly mentioning some aspect of their personal lives that might have some religious connotations. So going forward, let's assume we have a situation where a teacher is very excited that her daughter got married over the weekend and wants to share very briefly oh, in the two or three minutes with the class that there was a beautiful religious ceremony where their daughter got married. It would be very difficult for a school district to decide that they were going to impose discipline on that teacher who engaged in that brief discussion of a private matter unless the school district was consistent on that issue. So if the school district had a practice that they could document where they impose discipline every time any staff member engaged in any sharing of their personal lives, 
So, you know, any staff member who had any important moment, for example, a staff member is very proud that their son or daughter graduated from college and briefly mentions that to the classroom. If the school district can point to the fact that they impose discipline on that staff member and every other staff member who briefly mentioned any personal business that they engaged in, then perhaps a school district could justify imposing discipline on a staff member who briefly mentioned a religious ceremony that occurred over the weekend. But this case makes clear that you need to be consistent on these issues. So it would be very difficult for a district to justify that because in most cases, school employees do from time to time briefly share personal information, sometimes to find a way to connect with students, to build a bond. And in most cases, we're not going to be able to show that a school district never allowed that sort of expression. Again, that's very different from somebody deciding to ignore the curriculum, ignore their teaching responsibilities or other professional responsibilities, and shift all of their attention to sharing their religious views. We also know, of course, that these issues come up in various contexts within the school setting. So there are questions about whether or not school districts should ever discuss religion in the curriculum. Within the curriculum, we do know, of course, that in social studies, we talk about various historical trends in our society, and it would be impossible to do so without ever referencing religion. So certainly within the social studies curriculum, we know that there are times that religion is addressed and it is appropriate to do so if we can point to how we're doing it in an appropriate historical context, not in a way that's endorsing any one particular religion, but within the larger context of our history. It also can come up, for example, in English language arts. You're reading a particular work of fiction and there are some religious references within that particular book. That's perfectly understandable. That's very different, again, from endorsing any particular religion. So it is important, of course, as we look at issues like curriculum, that we do look to see whether we have a balanced approach to addressing our history of religion. So if we looked at the curriculum and saw that we spend X amount of time talking about the history of Christianity, but no time talking about Islam or Judaism, that would create a real concern because it would look like we were in some way favoring discussion of one particular religion. So certainly doing it in a balanced way, in an appropriate way within the curriculum can be justified. We know that these issues come up in other ways in schools as well. So of course, many school districts as part of their extracurricular activities uh, might have students involved in choir or band and could be at various points in time having students perform songs that have religious connotations. Our courts for many years have said that that is perfectly appropriate if we are looking at songs in a larger context and looking at songs that do not simply focus on one particular religion. And we're not choosing all religious songs for students to experience. And we have secular songs as well that students are part of. So looking at whether there is a balanced approach to that issue is very important. And our courts have said the same thing about various displays that might be present in a school district. So we do know that in winter, we often will have 
holiday displays that we see in various school districts in December in particular. As we see those displays, our courts historically have said that those displays could have some religious elements to them as long as the overall impact of the entire display didn't leave the impression that the school district was endorsing religion generally or endorsing any particular religion. So you would obviously want to include non-religious elements into those displays as well. So again, looking at whether there's a balanced approach to displays and making sure that to the extent that there are any religious elements, that we're not focused on any one particular religion and that there are non-religious elements built into those displays as well. We also know that staff members from time to time might wear some jewelry that has religious connotations. So staff member is wearing jewelry that indicates that that person practices a particular religion. The fact that a student sees that is not problematic if that staff member spent an entire class period talking about their deeply held religious views and why they had some particular religious symbol that they were wearing, that would be different. And that would certainly create much more direct evidence that the staff member might be trying to pressure or coerce students going forward. We do know as we look at these issues that we cannot have a different approach to how we address religious expression depending on the particular religion. So the U.S. Supreme Court case that we discussed today did focus on a coach engaging in Christian prayer. The analysis would have to be exactly the same if the coach was engaging in Muslim prayer or involved in any other religious expression. So it's very important that we not take an approach that favors one religion over another and looks in any way differently at one religious expression versus another. That issue can get very complicated. We do have to always make sure that as we're looking at staff expression or student expression or any other expression in school settings or at school activities, of course, we have to make sure that we're not allowing any form of hate speech. So we could not, under the guise of religious expression, for example, allow staff members to start talking about and demonizing others, for example, because of their gender identity, sexual orientation, or for other reasons, demonizing that person under the guise of religion. So it is important that we recognize that there are certain parameters that we have to work within to the extent that we're engaging in private religious expression in ways that do not undermine the official duties of a school employee and that do not leave the impression that we're coercing students into being part of that speech. There is some ability for staff members to engage briefly in that private religious expression. We do know, of course, that there are other complicated issues related to religious expression. For example, the state of New Jersey had a law in place for a brief period of time mandating a moment of silence at the start of each school day. And that law mandating that moment of silence was found to be unconstitutional when our courts determined that it was a thinly veiled way to promote religious expression, to promote prayer at the beginning of each school day. So it will be interesting going forward if there were a similar case like that, where there was a moment of silence that was not overtly endorsing specific prayer, but was allowing students and staff to choose how to use that moment. I'm not sure how the U.S. Supreme Court would analyze that sort of a moment of silence going forward. 
But certainly the court was clear that it would not endorse any practice that said you must engage in prayer or you must engage in any specific religious expression during school time or during any school activity. So I hope that our discussion today helps you to understand the parameters of the decision in the Bremerton case. The case has in many ways been misunderstood. The case did not involve any direct evidence that the coach was pressuring specific student athletes into engaging in religious expression. The coach in this particular case was not forcing students to join him in the prayers that he was engaged in. But the coach was given greater leeway than we had seen in prior cases to briefly engage in that prayer at the end of each game. We do encourage those who would like additional information on this topic to visit the Legal One website. We do offer many workshops through Legal One that talk about the parameters of First Amendment rights of school employees generally and school employees and students when it comes to issues of religious expression. So for those who would like more information on this issue, we encourage you to visit the Legal One website at www.njpsa.org slash Legal One NJ. I want to thank you for taking the time to be with us for this episode of the Legal One podcast. Be safe, be well, and we look forward to having you with us on future episodes of the Legal One podcast. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like more information on the topics we covered, a full list of episodes, or a preview of upcoming topics, please visit our website at www.njpsa.org legal1nj.